You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. Today, we're talking to Sam Crew, Regional Sales Manager at ExtraHop, about the outbound process he uses for 25 to 35% response rates. So I played basketball in high school, and one of the things that's you know, happens in sports, if you've played just about any sport, is you plan, right? You have a game plan. You go into that game. So if it's basketball, we sort of know what we want to do, at least what the strategy is. And in practice, we went through several certain you know scenarios like, uh, hey, if we're down by five points and there's two minutes left, what's our strategy? What are some plays that we can run if we need to get the ball back because we're behind? So we can't anticipate, obviously, exactly what's going to happen in the game, but that's not the point of practicing, right? The point of having practicing uh, you know, strategy and going through that strategy is that we have a pretty good idea of how we want the game to go, and we plan for it not to go perfect. The reason why I bring this up is for some reason, most people in sales don't take that same approach. They use their calendar to make appointments with prospects and potential clients but they don't use their calendar to make appointments with themselves. And I think that's the most important person that you can make appointments with is yourself. And what do I mean by that is what are all of the activities that you need to do on your own in order to get meetings and in order to optimize the time that you're spending so that you're getting a hold of prospects at the very best time that you can and you're doing activities that are going to get you meetings. And one of the reasons why I think this doesn't get talked about a lot is I don't know if people really know, <laughs> you know, what the week should look like. Uh, I would include myself in that bucket. Um, I think that a lot of people do it very differently. But what we're going to get into today with our guest I'm about to introduce is really getting into what the ideal week should look like. And before we do that, if this is your first time listening to the show, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal in this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting approach and share tactics and strategies with you that will help you set more meetings. Our guest today is Sam Crew. I'm super excited for you to listen to the interview with Sam. He's a regional sales manager at ExtraHop, and he is one of the most process-driven people that I've talked to in the business. He's getting 25 to 35% response rates consistently. He's been doing this for five or six years. And he just really knows his shit when it comes to the process. I'm very, very impressed. But what he's going to walk through today is his process that he breaks up into three buckets. So spending time on low-hanging fruit, uh, your bread and butter activities, and then what he calls your air coverage campaigns. So we're going to get into this. You're going to really dig it. It's going to help you plan out so that you can have your best week. Before we dig into that, one quick reminder, we're doing a virtual tour this summer called Think Outside the Script. And it's about to start next week, actually, with Art Subcheck over at Smart Calling. But the point of this is we're going to have 42 speakers. It's going to be spread out the entire summer. And these are going to be extremely tactical live webinars. So we're going to be talking about things like virtual prospecting. So if you've wanted to know how to use images or Venn diagrams and not memes, not the stuff that's funny, but actual images that are valuable and like illustrate a point and get responses. We're going to be talking about that with Justin Michael, uh, with Art Sobchak. We're going to be talking about how to handle certain objections, how to, you know, really open up your call, how to do proper research before you call someone so that you can break through, how to work with assistants instead of going around them. So make sure to check it out. It's free. You can go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Check it out. We'd love to see you there. And without further ado, let's get into the interview with Sam. So I was I was doing some research on you like I uh, like a true salesperson does. And uh, <laughs> I noticed that you were a history and econ major. So I'm guessing there's a story in there where there was a career changer at some point where you decided that sales was what you wanted to get into. Yeah, I get that one a lot. Um, I, there, there wasn't a, a career change or anything that I wanted to do differently. I actually knew that I wanted to do sales from from a pretty young age. But um, my, my parents had always coached it into me that it doesn't matter, you know, what you study in college. Um, that doesn't really translate to what you ever do, you know, growing up. So I looked at it and I was like, what do I like to do? I like to read. I like to write. I like learning about what's happened, you know, before me 
um, in the eternity of mankind and kind of taking those lessons and putting them forward. So um, that was my whole mindset. Again, I knew I was going into sales. That's funny. So uh, if I remember correctly, you said something about you grew up in Silicon Valley, right? And your parents were in like high tech. Were they in sales? Uh, so my dad was in sales. He was an individual contributor and then he kind okay. of transitioned to channel sales and then he transitioned into uh, channel marketing. And my mom has been a chief marketing officer pretty much her entire career. Both of them have worked for kind of startup technology companies in Silicon Valley. So yeah, just, I mean, I vividly remember being 13, 14 years old around the dinner table, having conversations about, you know, account-based marketing and marketing and sales alignment and just stuff that no 14 year old should have been privy to. But um, that's the world I grew up in. That's the world I knew. And it was easier to kind of make that foray into the world after school. Oh man, I'm jealous. So, so did you never have a point where you had this like, oh, sales pe- people are sleazy, like the used car salesman type of thing? Was there ever that type of talk or thinking? Um, that's not how it was painted to me. Like, obviously, that's the reality of it. But mm-hmm. um, I've always been taught and I've always thought of sales as a noble profession, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if you put quality in, you're going to get quality out. And, you know, I know that a lot of sales folks before me have poisoned the well, but I see it as kind of, you know, my job to level up, um, level up myself and the entire sales community um, for the future of, of all salespeople. No, I love that, man. It's, I'm jealous because when I was 14, I'm trying to think of the conversations that I was having with my parents and it was probably had something to do with basketball or sports <laughs> or how I uh, didn't have a girlfriend, you know, like, that. <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, Hey, we talked about other things like me not doing the chores and that kind of stuff. But you know, yeah. some of the conversation was about sales and marketing. <laughs> yeah. So when you were getting into sales development and the prospecting and this kind of stuff, it looks like that was around what, 2014, 2015. Um, was there any part of this process that you found like came really natural to you? No, none of it, none of it, except engaging, none of it, except engaging with human beings. I mean, my first year in sales, I was absolutely terrified of making cold calls. I absolutely hated it. I I pushed it off as much as I could. Um, I I had to hone my writing skills. You know, I I didn't really understand how to leverage the power of social media. So, I mean, I was very blessed that the first SDR organization I stepped into had a very good training, onboarding, kind of sales enablement. Uh, motion. And it also had a lot of sales reps who I could look up to and kind of, um, you know, just piggyback off the work they were doing and really just copy what they did, put my own style on it. And like, that's how I kind of learned. It was a very iter- iterative process. Did you ever have, cause you mentioned like being scared. Like I was, my first sales job was going door to door selling house painting services. I was scared shitless, man, of, of like talking to people at their door and trying to like sell them something, especially in a small town where I grew up, where a lot of people knew who I was. Um, why did you decide to stick in, like stick to it, even though it was something that sounds like they gave you a lot of anxiety? <laughs> because I fundamentally believe that when you're in situations in life that give you anxiety, that what you need to do is push through it and you need to do it. And I think that learning and good things like that's what happens, right? There's a quote in Goodwill Hunting, because I'm in Boston, um, that it's 20 seconds of courage can change your life, right? It's in the context of walking up to a girl, but I, I apply that context to almost anything I do in life, right? And I truly believe it. I think a short burst of courage really does you a lot of long-term value. Oh, I love that, dude. Is that something you've taken with you even up to this day? Is there any other sort of mental preparation that you do before you you know, make a cold call or anything like that? Mental preparation. I mean, not, not too much at this point because I'm Mm -hmm. kind of like, I've done it so much for years. I mean, um, I would have to force myself, right? Like I think me probably after my second cup of coffee in the morning was when I was fully ready to cold call. So there was always like a little bit of hesitation, but I really just, you know, I'm a big believer and I block out like every single hour on my calendar um, so it's like 9am, that's my cold calling hour, or that's my cold calling block. And like, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I bailed on that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get into that in a second because you're extremely process oriented. And that's why I, uh, I want to talk to you. Cause I, 
I rarely yep. meet people that are really into process and especially productivity. Like I'm a total productivity junkie. Where did that come from though? Have you always been a process oriented person with like anything else in your life? If you're, if you're, if you're looking at like middle school, high school, college, where else did this come out? I don't know where it came out, but I, I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing, but I'm a very critical thinker. You know, like I'm not sure if I'm a tortured mind or a great mind or somewhere in between, (laughs) but you know, I think about almost everything that I do. I think about why did I do that? I think about what reaction did I get? And I'm constantly trying to iterate in my own head. Like what is the better way to achieve the goals that I want to? And, you know, going back to sales as a noble profession, I think that people who have that mentality, those are the folks who kind of make it a noble profession, right? I mean, if you're just doing, you know, the hundred cold calls or you're just doing, you know, the sales methodology of 10 years ago, I think people need to be more focused on how can I push the boundaries and how can I really up-level myself and what I'm doing to achieve better results? Okay. Random question, actually. This might illustrate my point a little more. Um, Vacation. You're going on a vacation two weeks somewhere. Do you plan out every day step by step and like have all these activities pre-populated into a list and ready to go or do you wing it? You're probably going to be surprised. I completely wing it and I'll give you an oh, example. Okay. I took a month I took a, I took a month off to backpack throughout Vietnam. Um, I completely winged that in terms of I only booked one hotel stay or one um, yeah, one hotel, one hostel stay and it was the first night. I had a general plan I had no concrete plans in terms of where I was going to be on what days. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's just a, a polar opposite thing or in my personal life, I'm um, just a little more ad hoc, but in, in the sales world, I'm, you know, I see a lot of value in the process driven and um, yeah. helping me achieve more that way. No, I love it. I really relate with you on that point because I'm a very process driven person, but when it comes to vacation, this is why it drives my wife crazy. Uh, I'm not going to yeah, like you overly you plan. can't overthink a vacation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I'm not going to do it. that. So it's not really a compulsion. It sounds like for you as much as, Hey, I see that when I have a good process here, I do a lot better. So I'm really bought into the process. 100%. So, um, okay. So we've like teased the process enough here. So you sent over <laughs> a document, which no one's done this before a podcast interview, by the way, um, you sent over this document, you called it your outbound process document. There's just a ton of really great stuff in here, but uh, where did the idea for this this process, like how did this get started? Years and years of experience, right? I think trial trial by fire, trial and tribulation. I mean, I was, like I said, I, I was brought up through good roots um, in terms of like quality first, quality in equals quality out as an SDR. And just through the years, like I'm a big believer, whenever I see someone successful, I always observe what that person does, whether they're an SDR, whether they're in marketing, whether they're a field rep, I always observe what they do. They might not even know that I'm observing what they do, but I write it down, I take notes on it. And you know, I'd like to think that every successful person I come in contact with, I take a little bit of them um, and I apply it to myself. So I just think over the years, I've collected a lot of different data points and a lot of different things that work. And I've kind of created you know, a process that, that really works and makes sense for me. No, I love that. And and you mentioned something around observing other people. And I don't know, for some reason, this almost has a negative stigma sometimes where like, I, I call it just copycatting your way to success. Like, why not? Like, you don't have to actually come up with very many new ways of doing things. It's already, someone's already doing it successfully. Odds are, especially in sales. Um, yeah. But let's, let's walk through uh, your process, man. Like, where, where do we get started if we want to be more process oriented and how we do outbound and how we prospect where do we get started? Absolutely. Um, so where do we get started when I think, and uh, Jason, is this the context of pure outbound, right? That's the context for this? Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, so pure outbounds, um, I'm, I always break down outbound prospecting into three different buckets. Um, I am a, a big believer in the power of threes and in, in everything that I do. Um, so I think it's kind of funny that, that my outbound process is broken into three different buckets. Um, and I'll, I'll go on and I'll describe these buckets. But what these buckets do is they really create a nice balance for an SDR between quality, volume, driving market awareness, and driving short and long-term pipeline, which you know I think is the, the perfect recipe for success as an SDR. Um, so when I look at outbound process, 
you know, and each bucket has its kind of different level of time investment and level of reward that you're going to get out of it. But when you do the three together and you do the three buckets at the same time in parallel, that's when the process really starts humming. And that's where you really start, start to see results that will separate you from the rest of the pack. Um, so just to, to tease it a little more, like some of the results that I've seen over the last three years, specifically with this process, are between a 25 and 35% email reply rate or phone reply rate, um, about a, two, a 2x increase in terms of meeting to pipeline conversion rate once these meetings go to the field. Um, and I've also seen people who work this process really up-level their own SDR skill sets. And what that does is it helps them ultimately get to the next level um, of where they want to be in their sales career. Yeah, so, I think so everyone, I think it, everyone so. would like a 25 to 35% response rate to their, <laughs> to their outreach. <laughs> exactly. But, but that being said, right, like it's not easy. Like the, I, what I'm about to say is not a magic uh, recipe, right? It, is, it takes a lot of hard work. And again, it's that quality in, quality out approach. Um, that's fundamental to my kind of prospecting mindset. One real quick thing I want to point out about the fact that you have these buckets, because I told you before we started recording, like that was the big thing that stuck out to me is you like, you're thinking of your time in terms of buckets. I think a lot of, especially SDRs and BDRs who have to, you know, they're doing prospecting hundred percent of the time. I find that they're either spending all of their time in like the volume bucket and doing very little customization and personalization or going after those really big accounts or they're spending all of their time on the really like the stuff that requires a very high quality approach and they're engaging like five accounts a month, you know, kind of thing because they're spending so much time researching. So um, I think this is really just a cool way of thinking about how to, you know, separate your time. So yeah, let's go ahead. Let's dig in, man. Agreed. So the three buckets. So the one is low hanging fruit. And these are the leads who are the warmest of your cold. And I'll talk about how we can find these people and who they are. Um, but that's the first bucket is my low hanging fruit outbound leads. The second bucket is really the bread and butter um, outbound approach, which is this is where you're going to be spending the bulk of your prospecting time. And this is where you're going to be getting the bulk of your results. This is also where you need to really roll up your sleeves and commit to doing the work. But again, you're going to see the results if you really dedicate yourself to the bread and butter approach. And then exactly to your point, there's a third bucket, which is really supplementing all of that quality work with a a little more volume, but the volume is still done in a very smart and effective way that really goes to drive longer term market awareness. Um, So in effect, you know, as you're after you've reached out to your low hanging fruit and you've kind of scorched the earth there and you're working on your bread and butter process. Um, you're also in the background kind of driving this air coverage where you're driving market awareness about your product and service to people who you might not actively be prospecting into. Um, and what that does is it funnels people kind of organically to your website, and you'll probably see an uptick in inbound leads over the long term. Um, so it's really a, a harmonious process. So I want to start kind of with the uh, with the low-hanging fruit bucket, right? And I, I'm starting with it because This is the lowest time investment and you're going to get the most reward out of it. And this is also where as a rep and you're coming into a new territory, this is the first thing you should be doing before you move on to that bread and butter process or the kind of supplemental bucket where you're, you know, providing more volume, right? So when I, when I say low hanging fruit, what I mean is these are the warmest of the cold outbound leads. Um, There's, I think four main fundamental sources where you'll find these people One is disqualified opportunities, right? So when you're a new rep, the first thing you should be doing is creating a report in your CRM and trying to figure out what are the conversations that have already happened in my territory and how can I revive them, right? That's that's sales 101. I'm not going to expand on that too much, but those people know your product and more than likely, they're going to probably take your call to get an update from you um, or just see if it's a better time. Well, tactically, it might be kind of good to, what does the general vibe of the message sound like when you reach out to these people, whether that be phone or email, what does that message, what does the messaging sound like? Sure. So first, I think the first step is really understanding what the conversation was whenever it happened in the past, right? So again, digging through your CRM and really getting into the details of who was the person I spoke to, who did they speak with on, you know, the sales side? What was the conversation about? How far did it go? Were there any problems that we surfaced on the sales side? And that's really the messaging you take to that person is, 
hey, you know, we spoke last August, we were trying to address these three problems. Um, we've actually had some major updates on our end, would love to reconnect and kind of share them with you and see if it is, you know, see if it makes sense to start talking again. Yeah. So I'm assuming sometimes what you'll find is maybe it was disqualified if if you're in SaaS, for example, because you didn't have a certain feature. Sometimes that can be a disqualifier. So you're kind of like looking for specific reasons why the uh, opportunity was killed, so to speak. And you're making sure to mention and reference those conversations or the previous conversations if if the notes are available. Yep. And, th- and there's also an element of timing, right? If, if you spoke yeah. to someone 12 or 24 months ago, um, maybe it just simply wasn't the right time, but you did plant the seed and that seed's been growing in their mind. And, you know, you reaching out is very timely and they might be like, you know what? I love this product two years ago. I would love to see if they can, you know, if they're better positioned to solve our problems now. Cool. Sweet. Um, yeah. So kind of building off of that, right. So the second group that I look for is um, any leads, any marketing qualified leads that are kind of in the nurture phase. So, you know, similar to disqualified opportunities, um, who has engaged with our marketing co- content over the last five years? And I'm going to reach out to those people as well. Um, because again, they're a little warmer than completely cold. They have engaged with our marketing content. They, they probably have heard your company's name before. Um, so even just running a very simple campaign, reaching back out to those people is going to give you a higher chance of getting a reply rate off the bat and, and getting a conversation. Yeah, it's interesting because you're thinking like the approach here is you're almost thinking like you're your own marketing department where you have like these different kind of campaigns going on and you're creating some variety uh, in what you're doing. So yep. this is cool, man. Yep. And then there's two more kind of in this low hanging fruit bucket. And this is where I really leverage LinkedIn. Um, I love LinkedIn sales navigator. And there are two specific types of searches that I've done that have netted great results over the last couple of years. Um, The one is doing a LinkedIn advanced navigator search for um, everybody in your territory. So every account in your territory. And then it's just a simple search to see who in your territory is following your company on LinkedIn. Um, You'd be surprised, right? Like I do this, I do this exercise whenever I get a new account um, or whenever I come into a new territory. And typically there's like 40 or 50 people with good titles who are already following your company on LinkedIn. And again, just going back to the low hanging fruit, right? Like they're following it for a reason. They know your company. So if you can isolate that list of people, reach out to them with a note as simple as, Hey Jason, I saw you were following my company on LinkedIn. Do you want to have a conversation? Um, You'll be surprised at the results. And it's also quick wins, right? And I think quick wins are very important um, early on for an outbound prospector. Because that gives you, you know, some kind of leeway to really invest in a quality first approach, like the bread and butter approach. And it's just for your own mental sanity. <laughs> it's nice yeah, to no <laughs> get a couple wins. So, uh, so you're yeah. looking for these on LinkedIn Sales Navigator, and do you reach out to them through LinkedIn, or do you send an email or, or phone, or is it just kind of whatever you prefer? How do you recommend approaching it? it it's a- yeah, it's all three. Um, I think whenever you're doing prospecting, right? Like, there's a stat out there. And I'm not sure if this is even true, but I like it, that if you're only emailing, you're going to get a 3% reply rate. If you're doing email and calling, you're going to get a 7% reply rate. And if you're doing an email, a phone, and a social outreach, all three together, you're going to get an 11% reply rate. Yeah. So that's always stuck in my mind. And you know, whenever I identify somebody that I want to get in touch with, I'm reaching out to them through those three different channels. Yeah, that's, uh, you probably saw that from Sales Loft. Um, with their cadence uh, data. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, definitely. Um, so you're still running a sequence on these people is, is, the, is the bottom line. You're approaching these people the same way you would a cold prospect, let's say, but you just already have all of this context into this person and it's a lot warmer of an approach. Yeah. And also the, the sequence is tailored to the isolated list of people I'm reaching out to, right? So yeah. I'll run a different sequence for my disqualified opportunities with messaging that's tailored towards that. I'll run a different sequence and messaging towards my nurtured leads, a different sequence Mm -hmm. towards the LinkedIn people who are following. Um, And and there's one more low hanging fruit kind of campaign that I've seen huge success with. And there's a way in LinkedIn where you can search on um, people with certain titles at certain companies who in the past came from certain companies. 
So the way you can leverage this is if you type in your current territory list, and then you type in a filter of all of your current customers' companies, or sorry, all of your company's current customers into the past companies list. And what that does is it gives you a list of decision makers at your current accounts who in the past have worked for companies that are currently using your product. Oh, so you're creating your own job change alerts essentially when you're doing that. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm giving myself I'm giving myself an organic reason to reach out to key decision makers at my current accounts um, in a scalable manner. Right. Because typically especially in, you know, like for me, I, I'm selling in the Northeast. Um, it's an incestuous place, right? People move from company to, you know, in Boston just every two years. So, you know, typically what this nets me is a list of 50 or 60, like really high quality outbound prospects who I can just reach out to with a simple message of, Hey, I saw you came from Walmart. Um, did you hear about us there? Or, you know, Oh, you haven't. Can I share what we're doing and how we're helping them? And just kind of, you know, build that into a natural introduction for their company. Yeah, this is super cool, man. That's a really great approach. And there's a lot of really interesting stats around job changes too. You know, especially within the first six to 12 months, people usually make a lot of buying decisions in leadership uh, positions. You know, your director, VP and up, you know, type of situations within the first 12 months at a new job. So this is, that's a really cool little hack, man. Yeah, and that, the, that what you just touched on, I'm actually not very good at, um, but I've seen a lot of people do that really well where they'll isolate those people who are six months new at organizations. And right, just like you said, if you think about it, if you're a key decision maker and you're six months new, what you're probably doing is assessing the current landscape of technology process and people. And in your head, you're like, how can I improve this? What do I need to improve, right? So as a salesperson, if you are planting, if you are proactively trying to plant that seed with that specific uh, set of people, you're probably going to reap some of those seeds later down, uh, you know, in, in coming months. Cool. But before we move to the next bucket, how much time are you recommending uh, for your week spending in this uh, low hanging fruit bucket? Yeah, so I'd, I'd recommend probably spending the first three weeks of being in a new territory, specifically focusing on this bucket. Again, you know, it gives you quick wins off the bat. Um, as a new rep, you'll be able to have a good amount of conversations and kind of practice your skill set. Um, so I would say those first three or four weeks, really, really fully dedicate yourself to making sure that you are finding this low-hanging fruit. But it's also important to move off of this bucket pretty quickly so we can get into the bread and butter of the outbound approach. Got it. So it's not necessarily I'm spending a certain portion of my week. It's that this is really going to be front loaded for me. And then I might spend less than five or 10% of my week, just making sure I keep up on these low hanging fruit opportunities. Yeah. And it's also something that you come back to about every six months. So, you know, mm -hmm. the first three weeks in a new role, focus on your low hanging fruit in, in the seventh month in your new role, go back to the low hanging fruit and knock on their doors again, right? A year into your role, go back to that low hanging fruit and knock on their doors again. And essentially you're creating, like you said, those marketing campaigns where over time you just continually reach back out to them. Sweet. Let's get into uh, the targeted approach. Yeah. So again, this is, this is the bread and butter. This is where you're going to get the best results. This is where you're going to really develop your skill sets. And what this is, it's a systematic way of prospecting into your key decision makers at all of your accounts over a sustained period of time. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. This is low volume, this is high research, high quality, and you need to do it consistently. But what you're gonna do, if, if you build this out over time, you're really gonna get rolling and you're gonna start to see great results. Um, so how I suggest people start with kind of this bread and butter approach is look at your account list and do a very quick stack rank exercise in terms of prioritization of your account. Right? And it doesn't need to be perfect, but you should take a look at your current customer base and you should understand what types of companies, what industries are we typically having more success with? And then you apply that to your own territory and you just come up with like a lot of companies have kind of like a three tier system, right? Tier one, tier two, tier three. So do that kind of basic stack rank exercise. Shouldn't take you very long. Um, come up with those kind of tiers. And then what you do is your goal should be to get through five accounts per week. So take the first five accounts on that stack ranked list, 
And what you want to do is you want to identify between three and five key decision makers at each of those accounts. Right. So this is it's research intensive process. You're probably going to be digging through your CRM or LinkedIn, but you really want to identify those key people that your field team really wants to talk to. Right. The director, the, the VP, the person who's in the weeds and probably has the problem that you solve. Um, again, going to that quality in, quality out approach. We really want to spend the time up front understanding one, what accounts give us the best chance to win and two, which people within those accounts give us the best chance to be interested in what we sell. Mm -hmm. So with this um, approach, is that enterprise, like working five accounts per week? Is that if you're selling enterprise? Yeah, I would say that this is more more of an enterprise approach where um, selling into the Fortune 2000 with, you know, technologies where maybe the sales cycle is over six months and, you know, you're probably selling innovative technology. Um, this approach will work in that type of environment. Um, I've never been in more of an SMB transactional environment, so I'm not sure. I would assume that this is kind of too slow paced for that type of environment. Yeah, and I think you just adjust the account yeah, numbers. I think people will have a good idea right. depending on what you're selling. Um, cool. Right. So we've identified the contacts. We've looked at the accounts. We're spending the majority of our time here. Uh, what else do we need to do? Yeah. So, so you identify the accounts, you identify the people in the accounts. What I'd also strongly suggest is start making a list of all of those key contacts at your account. Um, you can do it in Salesforce. You can do it in an Excel sheet. But any way that you can create uh, an isolated list of the key people who you are reaching out to, um, kind of going back to my point of, I'm going to reach out to these people again in eight months or nine months, right? So I should, it probably is smart for me in the long run to centralize this list. Um, but, but anyways, once we have these people, what we're doing is we're running uh, a multi-touch sequence, which is essentially 20 touches over 30 business days. And again, the channels are email, phone, voicemail, and LinkedIn. But here's the kicker. Um, you have to individually research each prospect. And that's probably going to scare a lot of people off right then and there. But you have to individually uh, research each prospect, and you have to reach out to them with tailored and thoughtful um, questions, value propositions, use cases, and resources throughout that 30 business day period. Um, that's again, that's, that's essentially telling them, hey, I've done research on you. Here's how I think I can help you specifically. Will you spend some time with me? Right? Because that mindset really, it really helps you stand out from the rest of the SDRs that are reaching out to that person. I always think, right, like if you're reaching out to a director of analytics, it's you and 99 other SDRs. And they're only going to give one or two of the best SDRs time um, on their calendar. So you should like prioritize standing out from the rest of the pack. Um, so, so back to this being process driven, right? I just talked about um, the importance of researching each individual prospect. So how do you do that at scale, right? Like how do you do that effectively? How do you do it at scale so that you're not spending, you know, your entire day researching three people and never doing any activity? Um, the, the key part of that, and this goes back to John Barrows and Morgan Ingram, and I don't know if you've, you've talked to them, but um, I'm a disciple of John Barrows, and something that he talks about is knowing what triggers to look for from your prospects and where to find them, right? So something that I've seen success with is once you have your key list of contacts at accounts, um, you have to have five or six triggers that you know to look for, and you have to know where to find them. So for example, one trigger could be a personal LinkedIn profile that calls out you know, a description that's relative to what your product or service does. A different trigger could be their annual report, right? A different trigger could be something in the news about that company. Um, another trigger could be an open job posting for something that's relative to what you sell, right? So whatever it is, um, think about the, the five or six most compelling reasons that you have to reach out to somebody and just focus your time and your research effort on looking into those specific triggers, right? So that we're not boiling the ocean. We're not looking at people's Twitters and like digging through, you know, their Reddit history to try to find something. But we have something scalable where it's like, hey, I'm going to look here, here, and here. If I find something great, if I don't, I'm going to move off it and on to the next prospect. So do you separate the like the accounts that you have and you're finding the content contacts, excuse me, is that a separate activity from research? Yes. 
Okay, so you're separating those I, two activities. So I, I do my yeah, so I do my research right before I'm about to send my first email and make my first call with each individual. Got it. So I have an account list. I spend a separate time uh, finding the contacts. And then once I have all the contacts for that given period, then I'm going to do the research and then I'm going to research and send. I'm going to prospect as I research. And the first touch it sounds like you're doing is an, is an email. So it's, I'm going to do the research, gather the stuff, hit fire on the email, hit send, and then go to the next one. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like I touched with that multi-channel approach, um, I think one of the most impactful things to do is right off the bat, hit them from every single channel, right? People talk about the triple touch a lot, but what that means is you do your research, you send your custom email based on the research, you pick up the phone, you call, you leave a voicemail, you say, hey, I just found out this about you and this is, this is the problem I want to help you solve. I just sent you an email, subject line is this, hang up, then get onto their LinkedIn send them a, a personal connection request or whatever, a LinkedIn in-mail. And basically you want to create a lot of activity within a 10 or 15 minute period so that it gives you a better chance of getting on their radar. Yeah. So you're also a fan of the triple touch, the, that, that triple threat. Oh yeah. Um, Huge fan. Cool. So, so I get how the activities are separated. Um, with triggers, when you're doing that research, are you gathering like those three or four things in like one place, like in Salesforce or your sales development platform, and you're putting the notes, I guess, so that you don't have to do the research every time? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, whether it's, you know, the lead description field in Salesforce, whether it's, um, you know, in a platform like Outreach or Salesloft, even if it's just old school pen and paper, writing it down or, you know, storing it in OneNote. Um, I don't want to do the same research over and over again every time I reach out to the prospect. So I'll do the research on them once. Um, I'll, I'll centralize it somewhere and then I'll continually refer back to it. Right. And what I'm doing is I'm giving myself built in reasons for that second email I send. I can just take that second piece of research and apply that to an email. Or before I pick up the phone, I, always, I already have a built in reason as to why I'm calling that person. Dude, I love it. Okay, I want to make sure we have time for the rest of the stuff. But before we move to the next bucket, do you have like a tip or two you can share just on cold emails or cold calls or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So cold emails, subject line should be unique. It should be organic. Just think about something, anything that would stand out in your own email inbox, right? It doesn't have to be too formal. Keep it short. Keep it unique. Something that catches their attention. The first line of an email, I look at an email, I break it up into three parts. Again, process driven, right? The first paragraph is why am I reaching out? That builds off of your subject line, right? So the first line kind of expands on the subject line and it explains the reason that you're reaching out. The second paragraph is why should that person care, right? I've established why I'm reaching out. Now here's why you should care. The, the why you should care part is typically a problem statement or a value proposition about how you can help that person or a customer reference. And then that third segment is a very clear, concise call to action. Um, are you available for a 20 minute conversation next Thursday at 2 PM? Mm -hmm. so that's, that's, that's my basic framework for writing emails. Keep it as short as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and inject your own personality in there, but keep it short, keep it simple, keep it value, value centric. Love it, man. So with the subject line in that first line of the email, is that where you're putting in a lot of the research that you found? Yeah. So, you know, for like for that link or sorry, for that annual report trigger, you know, a common subject line I might write is your 10K security initiatives, right? I sell into cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So your 10K security initiatives, um, they're not getting a lot of emails every day about their annual report. So more than likely that's going to, you know, stand mm -hmm. out in the crowd. Um, or, you know, I saw this on your LinkedIn dot, 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 or, uh, Jason just called and left a VM. That's one of my most successful subject lines yeah. over the last five years, just left you a VM. Right. And then in your email, you're like, Hey, I just called and left you a voicemail. That's the, why am I reaching out? And then the, the reason I'm, the reason I was reaching out is because I think we can help you do this. Um, you know, are you available to meet? Right. So. Yeah, very systematic, and you, I'm applying a lot of the same philosophies over and over again. No, I love it, dude. Um, third bucket. Yep, and and just last thing on that bread and butter, right? So that's you hit them with the triple touch, and then through the next five 
five or so business weeks. Um, you're probably reaching out every two or three days through a different channel. Um, you know, again, with a value first message, mm -hmm. you will get a ton, a ton of success with this. And if you're, if you have the goal of adding five new people per day, um, after a certain period of time, you're going to build up, you know, between 50 and a hundred really good contacts that you're reaching out to with really good messaging at any given time. And like that right there is what moves the needle. Love it. All right, third bucket. <laughs> so the third bucket, um, this is a supplemental air coverage, whatever you want to call it. And again, being your own marketing team, this is really the goal is to drive market awareness um, for people who don't fall into either the low hanging fruit or the decision maker buckets, right? So you're taking everybody else, maybe they're lower level people, maybe they're supplemental functions who might care about, you know, what you have to sell, but you're grouping up those people and you group them up um, either by industry or vertical or persona. And at least once a week, you need to start one new air coverage campaign. So, you know, maybe, maybe next week I will take marketing people in finance and I'm going to write a specific email only campaign to those people. That's maybe five or six touches. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a lot about their specific persona, the problems we can solve for their specific persona and similar customers and the, the problems that they've solved using the product. Um, and again, this is, you know, low quality, lower quality. Um, you're not going to get as much results, but again, what it does is it drives better market awareness and you're also going to run into, you know, a freebie every now and then where somebody gets back to you and they're like, Hey, I've been waiting for you guys to reach out. Let's talk. And this is where you're going to spend what 10% of your time, I think is what you said. Yeah. So typically like on a Friday afternoon, um, I'm a big believer in, in Fridays being productive days. Um, I think a lot of sales reps see it as, oh, Friday, right? It's beer o'clock. Um, what that actually means is that's, that's an opportunity for any sales rep to stand out amongst the crowd, right? So Fridays would always be my earliest day in the office. Um, but anyways, back to the point, I would dedicate my Friday afternoons to brainstorming this new air coverage campaign, to creating the list, either in Salesforce or something like Discover Org, to writing the sequence. And basically getting that air coverage campaign ready to go out next Monday afternoon. So this is the more volume approach. And again, these are taking your, since these are less of a priority for you to talk to, like, or your AE to talk to, you're treating them in terms of like your time. You're looking at your time investment and saying, hey, since it's a low priority for us to talk to these people, it's not as much of a priority for me to necessarily take the time to personalize this as much as I would. Yeah, because what I've found is, you know, if you spend the same amount of time getting in touch with an analyst versus a director or decision maker, um, the down funnel conversion rates are going to be drastically different, right? So the SDR might get paid all the same and it doesn't matter to them, but an SDR should really care about the revenue they're driving from the meetings they're sourcing, right? Um, so, you know, the way I look at it is an analyst talking to my field rep probably isn't going to convert. Um, I would much rather get them on with a director or decision maker from the get-go because that has higher conversion potential. And it's going to make me look better at the end of the day as somebody who understands, you know, how to drive revenue. Love it. Okay. So I wanted to make sure we had some time here because the last part of your document is really awesome. It's, you know, sort of how all of this comes together. What are things that we should be thinking about in terms of like structuring our week? What are some of the fundamentals we should be thinking about? And then yeah, maybe kind of go into some of the details and stuff like that. Sure. So fundamentally, I'm a huge believer in writing to-do lists. I think um, on Sunday nights, you you should be thinking about what do you want to accomplish that specific week, right? What are your what are your top line goals want to be? What's what's your activity metrics to help you get to that number? And tactically, how are you going to break up each day and each hour of each day in order to support the, that activity that you need to hit your top line goals? Um, so really if you're not, you know, prioritizing to-do lists and thinking about it like that, I strongly suggest you do what it looks like for me in practice was Monday mornings. I would come in and that would be the time that I would purposely schedule all my internal meetings, right? One-on-ones with my boss, one-on-ones with my field reps, um, one-on-ones with anyone who needed a one-on-one. -on -one. But, you know, the purpose there is get off on a strong foot. Uh, start your week with a lot of planning and a lot of execution oriented talk. Also, your buyers are also doing the same thing where Monday morning, they're really not in the mood to hear from salespeople. So, you know, just 
just focus on other things on Monday mornings. One, um, right one before, quick tactical yeah, thing on that, because how do you ask that? Because a lot of this is a, a challenge I hear a, with a lot of reps is why well, have meetings like my boss is going to want to meet with me later in the week. How do you ask for this? And how, why, how do you explain the reason why to the people that you're doing meetings with that you want to do it Monday morning? I mean, you got to own your own time and you got to be, you know, kind of the, the protector of your own time. So, you know, if, if what is best for you is scheduling one-on-ones on Monday morning, you need to do whatever it's going to take to get that done. So um, I'm a big believer in being straightforward and being direct. So I would have a, you know, I would talk to my manager and I would say, Hey, it would help me out and it would allow me to be more productive if we could move our one-on-one to first thing Monday morning. I can't imagine a manager who would say, no, you know what? I'd rather have you be less productive, but let's talk on Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Let's, let's keep it that way. So you sell them <laughs> or her. You sell them. Yeah. Yeah. You sell them. Yep. You sell them or him or her. Yep. Um, <laughs> right before lunch on Mondays, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to get in the rhythm of doing 15 or 20 calls, right? Because I'm a big believer of kind of that psychological trigger where if you go into lunch and you come out of lunch without having done any activity before that, you're probably not going to have too productive of an afternoon. Um, so on that Monday morning, right before lunch, I'm going to force myself to make 10, 15 cold calls, um, whether that's to my low hanging fruit, whether that's to, you know, my bread and butter outreach prospects, or whether that's to, you know, people who have maybe been opening a lot of my um, air coverage emails, whoever it is, I'm going to isolate 10 or 15 people and I'm going to force myself to make those calls. Um, after lunch on Monday, I would come back and I would fire off that, uh, air coverage campaign that I worked on the previous Friday, get some volume out. Um, so I would send those on Monday afternoon and then the rest of Monday afternoon, I would focus on the finding new contacts at my five new accounts that that's and researching them. That's kind of that process I would dedicate to Monday afternoon, right? Where I would take five new accounts and I would isolate those three and five new contacts at each account that the rest of the week I was going to research and reach out to. Got it. Sounds good, dude. What do we do the rest of the week? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are really the same. Um, you come in in the mornings and the mornings are your activity, right? So first thing in the morning, you're making the cold calls that per that bread and butter kind of outreach pattern um, you're supposed to be making, right? So, Hey, last week I added this guy to the, to, to the sequence this, you know, this week, it's my time to call him on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, right? So in the mornings I'm calling, I'm writing, I'm rolling up my sleeves and doing the research and writing those custom emails. I'm spending time on LinkedIn, writing custom in-mail messages, really the mornings in the middle parts of the week, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you have to roll up the sleeves and actually do the activity. Um, and then in the afternoons on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I am like, I'm continuing to do that kind of research process where I'm taking in a new account, finding three or five people and getting them into the top of the funnel of my, my bread and butter outreach campaign. So are you doing most of your calls then in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not for any scientific reason, other than that's what makes most sense to me. Um, you know, activity and getting through the hardest part of your day early on. Um, that's not to say that I won't leave some call blitzes for, you know, the afternoon where, you know, maybe my morning wasn't as productive as I wanted it to be. And I wasn't able to get through, you know, the activity that I wanted to. Um, as a rule of thumb, 30 emails and 30 calls a day, quality emails and calls, and you're going to be golden. If you can yeah. sustain that and their quality, like that's the benchmark that I set for myself. So like, let's say a Tuesday morning, I only finished 20 emails and 20 calls. Like it was always in the back of my mind. I'm not at the 30 for 30, right? And I would dedicate a little extra time in the afternoon to hitting that activity goal. Yeah. I mean, that's what 60, I mean, that's 180 activities between Tuesday and Thursday. That's, that's pretty good, especially yeah. for, for enterprise men. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's all quality, right? Like um, what, what I'm seeing right now in the midst of coronavirus is 25% hit rate, reply rate on this bread and butter type sequence. And if you think about it, right, uh, what I'm saying is put between 20 and 30 new prospects into the top of the funnel of that sequence every single week. Um, so if you're reaching out to 30 new people a week, you're getting 25% of them to reply 
that's what eight replies. And let's assume that 30, a third of those people of the replies are going to be yeses. Um, you're essentially giving yourself two or three meetings every single week just by following that process. Yeah. Love it, man. And then what do you save Fridays for? Yeah. So Fridays, like I said, I hit the mornings, especially hard. I get in earlier and I'm a big believer that between eight and 9am on Friday, no other SDRs are calling, right? They're probably hung over from Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> They're probably sleeping in and their buyer's phones are not ringing. So like I'm upping my activity where it's in terms of like Fridays, I'm trying to get to 40 emails, 40 calls just in the morning. Right. Because I know that people dip out of the office uh, Friday at lunch and they go on their long weekends. And I really want to maximize that morning portion where our buyers aren't really getting reached out to, but they are present. Like that's what I want to maximize that Friday morning activity for. So I really see Friday mornings as a competitive differentiator. Um, and then Friday afternoons, I mean, it's Friday afternoon, right? So like I said, I take, I take a little more laid back approach. And I really invest my time on Friday afternoons in terms of creating that new air coverage campaign that's going to go out the following Monday. Dude, I freaking love it, man. This was awesome. I love the process and like everything we went over. So we're out of time, dude. We're, this, is, this is freaking awesome. I can't wait to write the summary and stuff for this one. Um, but dude, this is awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and all the prep that you did yeah. for this. Uh, where do you want people to connect with you? What do you mean? I mean, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Okay. I don't know if you had a fancy Instagram or a Snapchat or you're like a YouTube influencer on the side or anything like that. <laughs> oh gosh. I, my social media game is just like non-existent. I've never had Snapchat. I've never had Instagram. I deleted my Facebook five years ago. So if you want to find Sam crew, um, through LinkedIn or on my cell phone. <laughs> Boom. He freaking dropped a ton of knowledge. I don't know about you. I took a lot of notes. I'm excited to uh, share the deck and stuff with you. So make sure to check out LinkedIn, actually, if you're not connected with me. I do post these decks if you haven't seen them with summaries. So if you want like a six you know, slide summary of what we talked about in the podcast, definitely check it out. But my biggest takeaway was this concept of breaking your time up into buckets. You know, those low hanging fruit activities and making sure that you're checking on this stuff with new accounts in every six months. Uh, spending time on your bread and butter activities, of course, and then what he calls your air coverage campaigns. So really, really dug this uh, show. Before you take off, if you could do me a quick favor, I want to continue growing the show and getting on great guests for you. And one of the ways to do that is by getting good reviews on the podcast so we continue growing. If you wouldn't mind doing that, just search for Blissful Prospecting on the podcast app on your iPhone or go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. Either one will take you right there. Scroll to the very bottom, leave an honest review of what you thought. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.